That's my telephone going off in my office. Excellent. Hi, everybody. Did you ever think there was <coughs> ever a Jew in Auschwitz in 1944 who ever said, I'm so grateful for the Holocaust? Or a, a person uh, deathly ill with chemotherapy who says, I'm so grateful that there's cancer. Yet, God tells us to be thankful all the time. So, how do we reconcile that? Well, a key little word that Paul uses in our passage is a preposition. We can easily look these over, and by missing them, we come up with false doctrines like, you should be grateful for the Holocaust. We should not, and no one should be. Paul doesn't write, be thankful for everything. He could have easily done that, but he uses the preposition "n," which in Greek means in, and he writes, be thankful in everything. There's a world of difference there. In actuality, he writes, in everything, be thankful. We're to continuously be thankful in the trial and in the difficulty, and not necessarily thankful for it. And that helps us. It still doesn't mean we can complain about it. I say, well, I'm really thankful in this situation. And then you go on and moan and groan about the situation. That is a contradiction to the attitude that we're called to have, which is gratitude. Uh, now, the reason why we're to have gratitude, even when we're in a world that is in constant flux, and our lives are, out of our, it, things are not under our control. And things happen to us that are bizarre. And misery and difficulty come upon us, you know, without our doing anything. Oftentimes with our doing something. But when, it, when it's outside of our control, we have to remember that we're citizens of heaven, not citizens of earth. As believers, we're citizens of heaven. And so we're to actually behave as such. And the citizens of heaven right now, I mean those, and we are in position, but those who are up there are not, you know, watching Fox News every moment, trying to see who's going to get the nomination, who's going to get elected, what's happening with China and all that. I don't think they're really all that concerned, you know. So uh, the truth is that almost all of the trials that cause suffering for the believer, is and are the result of sin from someone else. And I don't mean our own, you know, the misery that we cause ourselves from sin, but the, uh, you know, the stuff that happens to us. When people do sinful things, God didn't cause that. So we're not grateful for the sins of others. But if those sins affect our lives and cause us pain, we are still thankful to God while in the pain. We know that God is always doing something. God is either strengthening our faith. We'll see this in a wonderful psalm we're going to look at today. That God is going to allow things to happen to us that are going to cause us to be to find out if we're really grateful people. And, and then he's going to bid us. I, he's going to say, I know how hard this is. Come closer to me. And when, if you're not in that situation, that message doesn't do anything. You know, if, if God says, draw near to me, and I say, well, I'm just fine over here. Like, everything's great. 
you know, but when wherever I'm at is hard and painful and God says come closer, I'm way more willing to give it a shot. And that's what God does to us in a marvelous way. God wants us close to him. God wants us with him. Because he knows that when we experience his way, his thinking, that we're going to be happy all the time and thankful for everything and speaking to him. So today we're going to see the benefits of gratitude that it has in our lives and actually also on our future. So let's pray. Let's open up your prayers. We do. Let's thank God. Uh, and then we'll get right into our message here. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, 18. We'll look at 16 through 18 again, but 5:18, and uh, let's just ask God for clarity. Be sure that we're humble and reverent, ready to learn, and asking and seeking Him for clarity of thought and understanding. And so, with that, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that you address everything that we need to know and that is of real concern to us in your word. We thank you that you solve all problems by your truth and by your spirit. By the finished work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you have set us free. Every day we're citizens of heaven. And every day we know that our Lord could return. So each day is our last, and each day you bid us to not worry about tomorrow, but to just deal with today. Know that we are with you, that our destiny is with you, that our Lord is returning in victory to vanquish all things and even take us out of these these bodies and destroy this world that is such a problem to every one of us. And we will be overcomers through him. May we find, Father, the reason and the... The, the motivation to be grateful, prayerful, to pray to you as much as we should, and to be thankful uh, and happy. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So an ungrateful person, they're everywhere. Uh, and generally, an ungrateful person is occupied with something that they're unhappy with. A person could just be bored. I was sitting there thinking, like, when I'm an ungrateful person, what's going through my mind? And You know, there's a lot. There's, there's a lot of things that people, that cause people to be ungrateful. You wanted something, you didn't get it. You, know, you didn't, uh, you know, you got something else. Uh, you have needs and they're not being met, or so you think they're not being met. And people are unhappy. They become unhappy and that unhappiness flows on to others. You know, uh, but however, grateful people are appreciative. Grateful people appreciate their lives, whatever they are. Now, some people are very appreciative of their lives because their lives are easy and good. Everybody understands that kind of thankfulness. Uh, but appreciative, grateful people are also happy. They thank uh, people that. Uh, they appreciate, they're thankful, and not just to, and we'll just stick in the Christian realm here at the beginning, not just thankful to people who do things for them and minister to them, but also thankful to God because they know ultimately that God is the source of all the things that they're grateful for. Um, and so they pray a lot. 
If, God, if you're very grateful to God every day, you're going to be thanking Him. And that leads you into prayer. You're going to be someone who prays a lot. Ungrateful people are grumpy, callous. They seem to think that God and others need to change. That's one of the interesting things about uh, ungrateful people are always looking for you or someone else, ultimately God, to change the program. Because, you know, their misery obviously isn't their own fault. So would you rather live in a mansion filled with ungrateful people or a tiny little house filled with appreciative, grateful people? And I know the one that I would choose. And in fact, Solomon in Proverbs 21, 19, says it's better to live in a desert land than with a contentious, vexing woman. You like my picture? Yeah, everybody look at it. There, there you are. Uh, you know, and I, I went on. I've learned now the websites where you can use pictures that are not copyrighted. So, when all the millions start watching our videos, we won't get sued. And uh, you know, this there are plenty of pictures of actual real people making nasty faces. I thought it was hilarious. It, I had fun looking at them for a while. But anyway, I went with this old bitty right here. So, uh, of course, why the woman? Well, it's probably because this is written by Solomon, and he's kind of strewn that way after having a thousand women, uh, seven hundred concubines, and three hundred wives. Uh, yeah, he understood. Uh, but it, you know, this applies to everybody. If you've ever lived with someone who's contentious or um, unhappy. And it infects the whole house. So what does it mean to be grateful? Generally, we understand it. Even people like this can get happy every once in a while because they get what they want. For instance, relief. If you want something badly and you get relief, you're grateful. We see it all, Chris and I, as you know, like the survival shows, we see it all the time. People are thankful when they find food. If you've gone like five or six or eight days without food, and it's amazing, they will eat <laughs> anything, and it's delicious because you haven't eaten in so long. Every one of them, godly or not, is grateful when they get shelter. One of the things that I, I wonder, uh, especially in the Naked and Afraid show, because they, they're not wearing any clothes, and, and sometimes they put them in the jungle, and the bugs are unreal. They're covered in mosquito bites, bug bites. And if they get relief from that, boy, are they grateful. Traffic starts moving, and you've been stuck in it for 20 minutes. Everybody's thankful. You show up at the airport, and the security line is real short. Everybody's thankful for that. So everybody has that kind of gratitude. But in our world... Life isn't easy for people. And even people who are rich enough to have everything done for them and handed to them and they can get anything they want with a snap of their fingers, they still find something to complain about. Every one of them. So what do we have? We have fallen people in a fallen world. Fallen people in a fallen world all, try, all stepping on each other, all around each other, all driving on the same roads. And there's a lot of grumpy people and worse, there's a lot of evil people. So if you remember the story that we used last time in our last class, the story of this 
man who was taken away and saw a vision that an angel had taken him to. And he saw a society where people, where there was no money and people did everything for each other. Uh, they exchanged, they didn't care about money, and they did everything for each other because they loved to give. And it was a world that was actually mimicked the early church and would actually be heaven on earth. Could it function here? It most certainly could. If you had a group, which technically is supposed to be the church, where people are the servant of one another, people consider one another as more important than themselves, and people love one another as God has commanded them to love in that way with kindness and gentleness and not arrogance and not bragging and all of that, and giving and sacrificing and laying down their lives for one another. If you had a group of people who did that, money wouldn't matter. Value wouldn't matter. And they would live for one another. Even in this world. So, what God has given us in love and in humility is heaven on earth. And he's given us a family to do it in, which is the royal family. All of us priests which we'll see when we return to prayer. And in the midst of the fact that you go through tough time, and I go through tough time, everybody does, because we're in a world, fallen bodies, fallen world, things are going to go wrong. Nothing we can do about it. No one gets out of it alive, right? So why do we need to be thankful for everything? If we're not, we're going to be slaves to the ever-changing world. So you can imagine a church where everybody's gracious to one another until economic times are hard, and then we're not. That's not a church. That's a group of people who are being tossed here and there by the waves of economic change. That's ridiculous. You know, are they looking at GDP up in heaven? Are they looking at the stock market every day? Are they looking at the price? Are they up in heaven going, did you see the price of gas today? They're not doing that. We are. I mean, and legitimately so, because you know you're being stolen from, basically. You know, we are. We're being, our taxes are unfair. Everything that's done to us is unfair. So, yeah, okay, we, we could point it out. I don't think there's anything sinful in pointing it out, but there's everything sinful in actually letting it take your happiness away. As a citizen of heaven, please. And in our age, we're not just citizens of heaven, we're princes and princesses of heaven. We're sons of the king, daughters of the king. We have every privilege. Hence, we've got to grab hold of prayer at all opportune times and praying for each other. But when our heart starts to get pulled towards that ingratitude or that misery, we have to immediately put the brakes on and speak to your Father. Just the Lord's Prayer in a couple minutes will change your heart. Father, I have a Father. Where is He? In heaven. His name, holy, sanctified. What's coming? His kingdom. Huh, right there I could be out of it. What does the price of gas matter in his kingdom? So, you know, being tossed here and there by waves, that was our only option before salvation. But now, citizens of heaven, it's no longer good enough. It's just not. 
In the final paragraphs of 1 Thessalonians, which we have approached, we find a compact group of exhortations, really commandments. And they're things that we've already read in the letter. You know, and, and we'll, before we close out the letter, which will be in the next week or so, we'll you know, go back and look just for a, a few minutes, go back and look at them. But these things Paul has already said, he's already stated that he's done them both in being rejoicing, praying, and being thankful. Paul has already stated in this letter to the Thessalonians that he, in fact, has always been grateful and always been thankful for them and that he prays for them night and day. He's always praying for them. So we'll see this in another point, too, because Paul is a spiritual guide, and so should we all be to others. And if... but. To be a spiritual guide, you have to actually live what it is that you're selling, what it is that you're teaching. You can't. You got to walk the walk if you're going to be a spiritual guide. But so notice this uh, exhortations. This is a, it's really a recap of what he's already done here in the form of rapid fire commands. Verse 16: Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is God's will. For you in Christ Jesus. God's will will is singular, and so it would refer to all three. Always rejoice in every situation where it's necessary to pray, pray, and in everything give thanks. Again, in everything, and that's where we'll start. So today we're going to look at gratitude. Uh, en ponti uh, charistate, uh, this is uh, the, not charistate, but eucharistate, which is to be thankful. It's commonly used in the New Testament for thankfulness. That last word that starts with EU. Uh, EU is a preposition that means well, it means good. So, and, and it's coupled with the word charis, which is the word for grace or the word for giving. So, eucharisteo, where we get our, uh, the English word eucharist from, uh, means to be grateful. It means to be good uh, or thinking good of the grace of God, so you're grateful. The first two, that, uh, the, really why I put this up is that first word there, en. En means in. If Paul wanted to say for everything, he could have easily used another preposition like dia, or epi, there's plenty of them that Greek has, but he uses n. N means in. So it's not grateful for everything. You know, if something horror, if something bad happens to you, you know, be grateful for that. But so, but God doesn't say give you an out, or He says, you know, it's I, I see how terrible or hard that is, so you have the right to complain. He doesn't give us that right. He tells us to be grateful in it. Grateful. Why? Because we're grateful to him. We never lose him. We never, and he's always doing something. Whatever he's doing, he's doing it for a purpose. In every case, I don't know why. I can't tell you. Neither can you or anybody say why he's in particular doing every little thing that happens in our lives. But nothing happens without the sovereign will of God allowing it to happen. He isn't truly in control of everything. So, <clears throat> the... Uh, uh, the, the verb that eucharistate is uh, an imperative, that's what you see in blue there, but it's present imperative, which I, I think we all would understand this anyway, but it should be pointed out that it's continuous. 
so present imperative always means a continuous command. Um, and because it, the present tense doesn't always mean continuous, but when it's given in an imperative, a command, it means that we don't get a day off from this. You know? um, so we're grateful every day. And some days it's going to be real hard to do that. So, pray. Seek it. Right? You have, we have to see that this is a command that we have no choice. And I, I really do appreciate how God does that for us. Is that he gives us the life of heaven and tells us we have no choice. You have to do it. So, either, you know, when it's a command, it's like either do it. <clears throat> either, no, find a way to do it or don't do it. But there's no middle ground. So it's kind of like at the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Christ said, if you hear these words of mine and do them, then you're a house built upon a rock. He didn't allow us to say, well, you know, Jesus, I'm going to chew on your words and see which parts I agree with and what parts I don't like. He said, no, you either do this or you don't. And, you know, and that, that we all need. We all need that because if we're given options when things are hard, you know, we know what we're going to do. <clears throat> Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now, coming up, and I think tomorrow we're going to focus really two days on thankfulness here, which I think is... Hopefully you're thankful for. That's a, that was a that was a low hanging fruit. That's a bad joke. But um, there's a passage that says, "Give thanks for everything," and we're going to see what that means in the context. Uh, and the, you know, there's two things here. God is in control of everything. So if the thing that's difficult or hard that causes suffering for me comes upon me, I know that He is still in control. There's there's nothing that happens in your life or mine where God says, wow, I didn't see that coming, you know. So it, it's actually allowed by him. That's what we have to say theologically. But in essence, because God is sovereign, he's really doing everything, but he doesn't do sin. He doesn't cause sin or cause evil. So we use the word allow. If it happens to us, whatever it is, we know that God has made that so. And so we, we can see in some instances that, yeah, well, I guess in one aspect we could say that we're thankful for the thing. But we're really, if it's something bad or evil, then we're not really thankful for the evil. We're not thankful for the sin that may have caused it, but we're thankful to the Father who uh, is going to work all things to, together for good if we love him. And so we have gratitude within knowing that nothing that happens in my life is outside the purview of God. So uh, the next thing we want to then ask ourselves is, what does thankfulness look like in a person? Like, what is it actually? If I'm going to be thankful all the time, you know, what does that look like in my life? And it actually is equivalent to the word praise. Now, you see this, you know, praise God. What do you think? <laughs> you know, I think of the people in the, the audience, they got their hands up and they're waving them and, you know, they've got whatever, you know. you got your little light. can't bring the lighters into church, but, you know. Um, 
is that now if someone feels led to raise their hands and wave them i don't i don't see a problem with that uh but um you know is that what if we're going to praise god all the time does that mean we're walking around like that all the time you know there are there have been i've heard of them i've never met one but there are people who i've heard say praise god after almost every single thing they say or Lord willing, that's another one. They say, well, uh, blah, 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 Lord willing, blah, 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 Lord willing. I say, all right, I get it, Lord, yeah. Right, he's in control, he's sovereign, I get it. Thank you. <laughs> Let's be normal a bit here. So, uh, thanksgiving to God is, is the way, now, when you look at all the words, the times in the Bible where thanksgiving is used, whether it's the noun or the verb, um, it's always towards God. Now, I'd say always. There's a few exceptions where people, where you're thankful for another person. Right? There, there's a past. Paul says for Achaia and Priscilla, or Priscilla and Aquila, which is usually how their names are pronounced. Paul says he's really thankful for them. He says, he writes that at the end of the book of Romans. So thankful for them. They helped him greatly. He's thankful. So certainly thankful for other people, but 99% of the time in the Bible where you see thankfulness, and it's used a lot in the Psalms, we shouldn't be surprised at that, that it's to God. It, it, it is almost always to God. <clears throat> we are told to be thankful for food. I am very, very much thankful for that. We're, God tells us, be thankful for it. We're thankful for people who minister to us. But any hungry person is thankful for food. Any person who's in great need, if you were drowning and someone saved you, you would be thankful. Everybody does that. But what is thankfulness to God? What does that look like? And we must be that or have that. And it is actually praise to God. And once we understand what praise is, which is... <clears throat> you know, it's easy to determine or define, and we understand what this is. So when we look at the commandment, in all things give thanks, present imperative, meaning all the time, if we only think of the things themselves, then we miss out on the real import or what the real impact that this commandment can have on us. Uh, we... Like we saw with joy in our last lesson, if we're going to have truly have joy all the time, we have got to give over our lives to the will of God. We have to. I said, well, I'm going to be joyful all the time and I'm going to be uh, not gracious. It's not going to happen. I'm going to be joyful all the time and I'm not going to be thankful. And that's not going to happen either. Or I'm going to pursue my areas of sin and let sin rule my life. You're not going to be happy. You're not not on a continuous basis. And in the same way here, if we're going to be thankful to God, we must praise God for Him. And that's it. See, if I say, I praise God because He always heals me. Why do you praise God? I always get what I want. Now, will God heal us? At times, yes. At times, no. I I praise God because every time I, uh, you know, my difficulties only last uh, five minutes, and then He takes them away. 
I never go through anything hard. And uh, that's not praising God. Hence, God allows us to go through some pretty hard stuff. And then the same command to be thankful and praise Him remains. If we don't praise God alone... so. What God is teaching us to do, which is absolutely imperative here, is to praise God for his very being, and that's it. For me to say, you know what, no matter if everything was taken away from me, I have God, and that's it. Why are you thankful for everything? I have the Lord. But you don't have anything else, Job. Not only do you not have anything, you're covered in head, from head to toe with painful boils, And your whole family has abandoned you. Your kids are all dead. The only one that God left alive, or really Satan left alive, was your nagging wife, who probably looked like that lady on the first slide. And, uh, And, you know, she tells you to curse God and die. And, you know, what does he say? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be his name. Now, generally, that kind of magnitude of suffering doesn't happen to us. We get something far less. And yet, we find a way to complain. And this is what God is drawing out of us, like drawing cancer out of a body. It's cancer in the soul. That we want comfortable lives. We want everything to work out. We want everything to go right. It's a natural, inherent human thing. (laughs) I think the things that can get me so red line mad at like at the drop of a hat is when I'm trying to do something usually some physical thing or my shaky hands won't do it or it's not working out the way I want or I'm on the computer and I'm clicking and I'm clicking and I'm clicking and it won't do what I think it should do I want to smash the thing to bits what do I want I want a one click life (laughs) my poor little daughter has has inherited my DNA just the same thing. She she would if she had a gun in her hand she'd shoot you. You know and it, it, there's things that she tries to do and if she can't do them she oh my god it's it's absolute rage. And and that's you know no one taught her that we didn't sit down and teach her how you know how to throw a fit. They just do it naturally. And and it's inherent in us and God has to draw this out of us. When we became born again and saved, did it disappear? I don't get angry anymore. As soon as I believed in Christ as my Savior, I've never had a drop of anger in my soul ever. That's a lie. Of course I have. Of course all of us have. Same with everything else, whether it's bitterness or fear. We've done it. God is drawing this out. You like being angry. You like being fearful. You like being... Physically hurt by sin, the sin causes some, certain sins especially cause physical hurt. You know, do do you like, do you like this? And of course we don't. And God, here's what God's doing. He, he's not only drawing it out, but he's curing us. He's curing us. In other words, you know, when, that's like, like a dry drunk is always the example I think of. The guy who's, He's given up booze, but uh, he'd just kill you for if, if he could have the chance to drink again. 
and he's angry and he's bitter and he's mad and he's on edge and he's basically you're just still acting like an alcoholic. And now that's just an example. Go into any other sin, any sin. God wants to draw it out and have it when it's drawn out that in our hearts we say, I don't want it anymore. You you could tempt me with it all day. I don't want it anymore. That's a cure. That's what God does to people. I guarantee it. That's what he says all over his word. He's making us whole. Making us like him. And so this idea that, you know, always grateful in everything, that is just, it's just an ideal, man. It's just like a heavenly ideal. No one can do that. And as soon as you admit that to yourself, you're never going to see it. It is absolutely real. <clears throat> so uh, we have to praise God for just him. And when we say just him, he's a lot. And you possess him. You are his and he is yours. He's in you and you're in him. You have the Lord Jesus forever. I, I The more I learn about him, the more I realize I, I don't know. And, and the more I'm absolutely flabbergasted that the Son of God did what he did. How could he have possibly done such a thing? It's almost unreal. (laughs) I have to test myself. Do I really believe that? Because the more I learn about it, the more impossible it is. But with God, all things are possible. I know in my heart that he totally did it. That's worthy of praise. What he did. Which is who he is. So, praise God, right? If thankfulness is praise to God, everybody, anybody can say it. Praise God. Throw your hands up. Praise God. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Anybody can say it. Very few actually do it. Because praising God certainly at times has emotional ecstasy to it. It's wonderful. There are times where you are overwhelmed with emotion for God. But that's few. And it's very isolated. It doesn't happen all the time. No one can sustain such a thing all the time. But we are to constantly praise Him. So the praise of God is a mindset that is continual, which is the same as thankfulness. So let's, let's look at a situation of this in Psalm 69. Look at Psalm 69. And here David is one of the many psalms that he wrote while going through very intense suffering himself. David here speaks of incredible suffering that he endures. So, if you know the story, I'm so behind in the Bible reading, especially after school got ramped up here with me. I'm almost done with it, though. And, uh, yeah, anyway, I'm I'm always talking about how busy I am now. I mean, people must be sick of it. I used to always hate when people did that to me. I need to stop doing that. So, uh, anyway... um, I only say that because I'm still in 1 Samuel. <laughs> I should be I should be farther along, but I did read this morning. And it, and 
you know, David is asked by Saul to come and because Saul has this evil spirit, he's very unhappy and ungrateful. And when David plays his harp, Saul calms down and he starts to feel good. But then, long story short, David, David gets kicked out of the palace or the, whatever you want to call it, the house of where the king is, and David is on the run from Saul. Saul wants to kill him. Saul becomes incredibly jealous of David and wants to kill him. And how long is David on the run? Well, we'll see that in a second. Look at Psalm 69. This is one of the psalms that David writes while he is... Life is in danger and on the run in the wilderness. Verse 1, for the choir director, according to the Soshanim Psalm of David, save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. That doesn't mean literal water. It means the enemies are like water. I have sunk in deep mire and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and a flood overflows me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail. When I wait for my God, those who hate me without cause are more than the hairs of my head. Those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongfully my enemies. What I did not steal, I then have to restore. The uh, you know now is David here just using poetry? Like and what I mean by that is, is things aren't really all that bad for him. He just wants to be very impactful with his words. And the answer is no. Uh, we see it in the narrative of 1 Samuel that um, he, it is hard, hard on him. And this, I'm weary with my crying, my throat is parched, my eyes fail. Notice, while I wait for my God, meaning, what gives, man? You know, what God, what are you waiting for? I, can't he just fix anything? Yes, he can. What in the world are you waiting for? Now, as we read this, we get the impression, because the suffering is so hard, and it's very undeserved, that this may have a messianic theme. And it certainly does. Meaning that David is going through a situation that God is using to write for David, to impel by the Spirit, to, for David to write something, that is about his coming son, who is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So look at, skip down to verse 20. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am so sick. And I looked for sympathy, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Now that we see. That's from the Gospels. Jesus, this is a fulfill, Jesus fulfilled this. So what David experiences here, God uses as inspiration for prophecy. But the connection to, so, well, it's prophecy. That's got nothing to do with me. Well, really, because we're in union with Christ, this connection that David has to his greater son, Jesus Christ, um, is not lost on us. It's not that we're writing prophetic psalms. You and I are not writing prophecy. But we are to experience very difficult situations in our lives and respond the same way. Just like he did. Jesus is our pioneer. We're to respond the same way. 
And hence, you know, in the royal family, where it said, you're in Psalm 69, comfort the brokenhearted, right? Just in our passage before we got to where we're at now. In there in a second. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And why I say that? Because I might not right now be going through a situation where I feel heart sick. Notice verse 20, the reproach, reproach has broken my heart and I'm so sick. And I looked for sympathy and there was none. For Christ on the cross, there was not. For David in the wilderness, there was some. He was joined by, by others to help him. But there were times in the wilderness where he was completely alone. So sometimes he wasn't, sometimes he was. For Christ, he's completely alone and, and forsaken by his father. But when it, when it comes to the church, as Paul has told us, we need to admonish the, un, the unruly, sure, but, which is teach, right? Not judge them, teach them, and with warning if necessary. But we're also to encourage the faint-hearted, to comfort them, and to help or support the weak. And if we see someone going through a hard time like that, that is our, it is our calling to help them, to help them through. So, why the difficult situations? Well, the answer is pretty obvious, but it... It, it bears repeating. And even if we know stuff, it has to be repeated to us because we forget it. Not that we forget it from our memories. It's just that we get occupied, our eyes get on a thing, and we're not even thinking about it. So repetition is necessary. If we can be grateful to God for who He is, we can be grateful to Him for who He is to us, and we can praise Him for who He is, when it's really hard to do so, then we are truly grateful just for Him. Like if, thing, if I'm grateful in everything, I'm grateful to the Lord when I'm under something like this, as we read in Psalm 69. It is the only true thankfulness since God Himself is the only eternal one. Everything else is created. We're created. Angels are created. The universe is created. Um, If I'm only thankful for things, meaning I'm only thankful when life is easy, when life is comfortable, when I get what I want, then I'm thankful for things that are created and destined to to no longer be. I could certainly be grateful for people, but... Not in a selfish way. Grateful for those who help me spiritually in my spiritual life. But say you're grateful for food, but you're not grateful to God for it. You're grateful, your gratitude, I mean, has no depth to it. As soon as you eat the food and you're full, you're not grateful for it anymore. If someone gave you more, you wouldn't want it. They're already full. I'm stuffed, I don't want any more. You wouldn't be grateful for it. This is why rich people who have everything end up being ungrateful. They're grateful for a little bit, just like 
All the uh, natural people are. But we're to be grateful for the gift and the giver. And if the gift is gone, we still have the giver. This is what God is teaching us. By putting us in this situation, the Lord is in the situation to save us. He doesn't need it as a lesson, by the way. Not, not at the stage that he's at when the cross comes. But for us, it's always a lesson. Drawing us closer to God. Now, it's interesting. I, I said about David, right? He's suffering in Psalm 69 because he has been uh, chased out of the king's palace and he's being chased by Saul and his life is in danger. But back before this happened, when David was in the palace, he was the, the number one uh, military commander. Saul loved him. And David doesn't write one psalm from that period. There is not a psalm that comes from David's pen when he's in Saul's palace comfortable. And he has no issues, no problem. He's actually been promoted and promoted again and promoted again. He has not one word does he write. As soon as he's in the wilderness, the psalms start coming out. And that should tell us something about why God allows us to go through rough times. Right? The poetry of our souls starts to work when things are hard. And, when, and I don't mean you have to write poetry. A lot of people don't like poetry. But it means that you start to really look to God and long for God and see God. He's drawing you to himself. Now, in our passage, it's rejoice always, pray without ceasing. So in this psalm, we see prayer. We've already really seen it at the front because he, he says, Save me, O God. That's a prayer. But look at 69.13. Psalm 69.13. But as for, as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the greatness of your loving kindness, answer me with your saving truth. And saving here would mean not eternal salvation, but deliverance. You know, when, when, Lord. Well, I think, I can't remember, I think it's Psalm 90 or Moses says, how long? And if God could shout down from heaven, 40 years, you know, like how, maybe he probably wrote that Psalm the first year he was in the wilderness and he wrote, how long, Lord? And Lord's like, I'm... Well, actually, no, he did tell Moses. He did tell Moses. After the spies came back, God told him that they'd be in the desert for 40 years. So Moses got his answer. What a bummer that was. Um, but notice what David writes here. At an acceptable time, answer me with your saving truth. That's a man who has patience. And this wanting... To praise God, glorify God, which is to be thankful to God, we see how that is connected to patience. Because if delaying my deliverance brings more glory to himself, am I okay with that? So God says, Look, all right, I got a deal for you. I could deliver you right now. And I would get X amount of glory. Or, 
I can wait. Right, we're going to delay your deliverance for I don't know, whatever length of time, and then I'm going to get more glory. I'll give you a choice. Which one do you want? It's a tough one, right? Now, if God puts you on the spot like that, you know what you have to answer. But he can read your mind anyway, so you might as well tell him honestly. And maybe it would say, well, you know, God, you, you, you're so full of glory anyway. Well, you know, what's a little more? You, you know, you have everything. And God would say, yeah, okay, if he gave you the choice, he would, he would deliver you. Would it have impact on your salvation? No, you'd be just as saved as you ever were. So what is God doing to us here? It's the same thing. He's bleeding out aspects of the flesh that we want to hold on to. And he's curing us of something that causes us to stop being grateful all the time. And that's what he wants for us. He wants for us to be like him. And because we're created in his image and we're in Christ, we can be. So, patience is praising God, is it not? Patience is, you know what, God, if you want to wait longer, if it glorifies you, I'm on board. I want you glorified. That's, real, that's mature thinking. That's what he wants for us. And, of course, in the back of our, our mind, right, we'll be like, well, you know what, I want as much glory for you as possible, um, but could you please hurry up? And actually, we see David. David is just like us. We see in verse thirteen, at the acceptable time, Lord, he's patient. I want you glorified. You leave me in it. By the way, David was in the wilderness running from Saul. This is after he was anointed king. By the way, he's already anointed king, so he knows he's king. Ten years. Ten years in the wilderness. Ten years. That's a long time. Only then does he get to take the throne. And not even of the whole country. He gets the throne of Judah and those north, you know, because Saul's from the tribe of Benjamin. And Benjamin don't like Judah. And there was a, there was a whole group that thought Saul should be king and they fought against David after he got the throne. So even once he got the throne, it wasn't a cakewalk. He had more to go through before he could unify the country, which he did. But, man, ten years? But then at the end of David's life, when he can look back at roughly 72 to 75 psalms, maybe more, we don't know how many he actually wrote, but at least half of them, so about somewhere around 75. If he didn't go through ten years of that, these psalms aren't written. What's the most famous psalm everybody loves? You're all like, well, let's see, I've got to pick a number. 151. Oh, no, there's only 150, sorry. Uh, Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, everybody loves it. I shall not want, though I walk through the valley, the shadow of the valley of death. If he doesn't walk through the valley of the shadow of death for years, he doesn't write those lines. They're not just writing. Their experience with God that is gushed out on the page so that when we go through those experiences with God, 
that which is written on the page comes alive to us. If we don't go through this shadow of the valley of death ourselves, they're just words that are, you know, they're really nice, very poetic, but they, they don't really mean much to us if we don't go through it ourselves. Hence, God allows it. And then he says, no, I'm, I hear your prayer, and I promised you I'm going to answer it. But I'm going to make you wait. Because it brings more glory to me, and it makes you stronger. But like I said, David is just like us. He's a man. He's not superhuman. He's a man. So look at verse 16. Answer me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Is he like flattering God there so that God will answer him? Your loving kindness is good. According to the greatness of your compassion, turn to me. And do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Answer me quickly. Uh, what happened to an acceptable time? Well, he's both. Like I put in my thought bubble here, I'm willing to wait for you on you, O Lord, but just please make it quick. It's a great title for a sermon on prayer. I'm willing to wait on you, Lord, but please make it quick. Now, at the end of the psalm is our word. Psalm, look at verse 34. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah. They that dwell there, and they, sorry, that they may dwell there and possess it. The descendants of his servants will inherit it. And those who love his name will dwell in it. Again, verse 34. Let heaven and earth praise him. The seas and everything that moves in them. This uh, word praise, this Hebrew word, is um, it's often used for thank, thankfulness. It's synonymous with thankfulness. And obviously that makes sense. If I'm thankful to God, I praise him for what he does. Let heaven and earth praise him, meaning everything praise him. Praise God. Again, anyone can say it, but few actually do it. As you can see in this psalm, it's an attitude. It's an attitude of the fact, and I have it here on the board, praising God or being thankful is a continuous mindset of the greatness of God's grace. Every day, I am showered. I am inundated. I am overwhelmed with the grace of God. And... I have to know things for that to be true. I have to be reminded there's a kingdom coming. It's, there's a king to that kingdom. He gave his life. He died on the cross to be the king of that kingdom, and he saved me. He now sits at the right hand of God, and I am the light of the world, and on and on and on. You know, all the truths and doctrines that we love, we're reminded or should be reminded of them every day. And if we are, we know who we are, we know who God is, we know what he is to us, and we praise him for it every day. All I need is him. That's it. That's all I need. And that's what he's training us to do. Now, one last point as we close here. Um, notice at the end of Psalm 69, 
The last line is the descendants of his servants will inherit it. Inherit what? Well, he's going to save Zion, build the cities of Judah. For us, let's just look at the new Jerusalem, right? There's a, there's a place that we're going to live at the end of time for all of eternity called the new Jerusalem. And those who love his name will dwell in it. The descendants of his servants will inherit it. And this is often in the scripture used for our praise and thankfulness to God. And what I mean by that is the very end. So it's called eschatology. It just comes, Greek word eschatos means last. And this is, it's, it's used a bunch in the scripture. We saw it in Thessalonians. The Lord is coming like a thief in the night, right? It's all over the book of Revelation. And here in the book of Revelation, you can see it on the board here, the 24 elders say, we give thanks O Lord God, we give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Revelation 11 is speaking, in this passage, is speaking of the very end. Revelation is not chronological. Uh, Throughout the book, you have these passages that speak of how it is at the very end. This is the end. The, the, Satan is cast in the lake of fire, the beast, the other beast, which is the false prophet. It's all over. Armageddon's over. The last battle over. The Lord reigns. And what, what are the people? These 24 elders are people and will be there. We praise him. This is said throughout the scripture. And think of it, we, it's an obvious impact. If I'm suffering now, will I be suffering then? No. Is my Lord going to win? Will he reign? Was, is his kingdom coming? Absolutely. We apply these things and we become truly grateful. Very grateful. Just for him. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that you have guided us and shown us what it means to be grateful in things, not for everything. We're not grateful for sinful things. And we're not particularly grateful for the hurtful things that come upon us, but we're grateful to you within the things. And so we remain happy. We remain, uh, even though we're, we have the, the, the pain upon us at times, that we can overcome it through gratitude. We know, Father, that you won't give us more than we're able to bear. And so, Father, we are so grateful to you. May we praise you every day as we read today in the psalm. We ask in Christ's name, amen.